Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the latest live streamed episode of the Free Marketeers. On this episode, I'm joined by the CEO of Business Leadership South Africa, Busi Siwe Mavuso. Busi, how are you? And thank you for being here. Chris, good morning and good morning to the listeners that have taken the time to join us. Uh, thank you very much to the Free Market Foundation for the invitation. And I'm looking forward to uh, having this uh, discussion. I'm sure by the time you and I are done, we would have solved South Africa's problems. <laughs> you put pressure on yourself already now. So I'm going to put this in your head and make you overthink because at the end, I want to ask you, how do we solve South Africa's problems? Because at the beginning, we have to set the scene. We have to talk about where we are at the moment. It's important, of course, to know yeah. our history and where we've come from and to know where we are at the moment. So I thought we'd start off with, you can obviously touch a little bit on BLSA and the work that the organization does if you want, but also your thoughts on where we are economically, socially, politically right now after a year of the pandemic, you know, one can list all the issues, but I think it's important to get your perspective and your organization's perspective on the state of play at the moment. Yeah, no, and and and, and thank you very much for that. I think I'll leave out the conversation on, on, on BLSA for another time, because I think for the hour that we have, it's important that we really focus on what is keeping us awake at night, you know, as South Africans. So in terms of where we are as a country, I think, Chris, it is no secret, you know, that we are, um, not doing well, you know, um, uh, from an economic perspective. I think when you look at all the indicators, they are not pointing in the right direction. And unfortunately, the direction of travel thereof, you know, continues to actually go in the wrong direction. So there is a lot that South Africa is going to have to do to try and turn the situation around. You know, I think if you're looking at what we had articulated in the National Development Plan, you know, in terms of dealing with the poverty, unemployment, and inequality, you would also see, you know, that those, you know, are actually also deteriorating. You're sitting in a country where poverty levels are at about 57%. And Chris, I am sure this number is up looking at the economic devastation, you know, that has actually been imposed by COVID. So 57% in terms of poverty levels, you're sitting at inequality, you know, of, uh, of, 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 of when you look at the Gini coefficient, you know, we are really at, I think, about 0.67 as a country. You know, when, when we look at where we, are, where we were when this democracy started in 1994, we're at 0.54. So you can see that we are becoming more and more unequal as a country, which is a not which is not a good place to be at, you know, as it were, because when you look at the reason why we are having so many social ills, when you look at the reason, you know, why uh, 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 the social instability, you know, that we have in the country is precisely because uh, uh, of the inequality levels that we actually have as a country. So the economic growth that we'd like to achieve as a country can never be achieved, you know, if the country is as unequal as, as, as it is. So we therefore need to be looking at what are some of those interventions? What are some of those policies? What are some of those uh, uh, plans that we need to put in place to try and solve, you know, for the inequality problem? If you ask me, I think our inequality problem is the biggest ticking time bomb that we have in this country because from where the residents of Alexander are sitting, you know, which is really about uh, a stone throw away, 
you know, from this richest square mile, you know, in Africa, where I'm sitting, which is Sentin, they are not going to continue to look at the opulence at, of Sentin from the windows of their shacks. At some point, poverty, hunger is going to drive them out of their sheds, and they are going to cross the M1 bridge, and they are actually going to render Sentin ungovernable. So before it gets to that, we therefore need to ask a question of what are some of the things that we need to do, and what are some of the things that we need to put in place to prevent that situation from happening. And unemployment, I think we saw the stats from Stats SA, I think about a month back, uh, from uh, 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 the expanded definition of unemployment, you're sitting at 42.5% unemployment. It cannot be, Chris, you know. You are sitting in an environment where there are more unemployed people than those that are employed in all the provinces except Gauteng and the Western Cape. Now, it doesn't matter which way you choose to look at it. That is a recipe for disaster. Now, what is it, you know, that needs to be put in place and what is it that we need to do as a country to actually, you know, uh, prevent uh, uh, this looming disaster from happening. I think, yeah, I think that's a, that's an accurate summation of where we are at the moment. I wanted to ask you on the matter of inequality, and I guess where South Africa is now. You know, a lot of our, our sort of structural economic issues, uh, constraints on economic growth. A lot of these things they didn't just happen in the last year. They've been with us for many years, and COVID, I think, served to to emphasize and expose a lot of these things so in terms of shifting one's mindset to a growth mindset uh a growing the pie kind of thing because at the moment we just focus on redistributing the pie we don't focus on growing the pie kind of thing what do you think of of are there let's say three policies or three highlights that you would take even before COVID that should have been reformed and that we should focus on now heading out of COVID? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I guess let's be clear from where we are sitting, Chris, and this business, we've been talking about this for the longest time, that growth will be driven by economic reform. So it doesn't matter how much we do on the periphery unless and until we actually deal with the key reforms that need to be implemented in this country, you are not going to achieve the growth. BLSA came out with an infrastructure paper, I think about two weeks ago, that we launched. And we're really looking at why is infrastructure not happening in this country, you know, given the focus, you know, that we have actually had on infrastructure for the longest time. You remember that the ticket that our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, came into office with was actually trying to get foreign direct investment into the country. So much so that he employed investment envoys to actually try and, and, and really uh, uh, focus on that and try and accelerate the foreign direct investment. And I think three, four years later, you know, you would see that uh, in, in, in terms of where we thought we were going to be, and as articulated by the National Development Plan, which says that our foreign direct investment, or our investment rather, should be 30% of GDP. You know, we're currently sitting at about 18% of GDP, you know, and I think that is the highest that we have actually uh, touched, you know, as a country. So you therefore have to look at why is that not happening? Investment is not going to come if the environment within which business operates is not a conducive environment. And that takes us back to the conversation of structural reforms because investment needs to be guaranteed of certain things. Investment needs to be guaranteed Chris, for instance, that they are going to have lights on. You know, there is no point setting up a factory, you know, when you are actually going to sit with 18 hours of load shedding. You know, investment needs to be guaranteed, you know, that the a, a, a network that we are on at the moment is actually going to be stable, you know, especially during this time when we are hit with COVID and there is so much dependence. 
you know, on online and on 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 on, on network platforms. So we, we 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 need to ensure that we auction the spectrum. You know, investment will actually need to be guaranteed. You know that Section 25 of the Constitution, in terms of the uh, land expropriation without compensation, is actually going to be effected in a manner that is actually uh, supposed to be effected in actually putting out a a a a, a statement or, or, or taking a position that you need to amend Section 25 of the Constitution, that already sends shivers to investors because they don't know if the property rights are going to be guaranteed. And when you look at why we even need to go that route as a country, you, 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 you actually don't understand what it is that we're trying to achieve. So you're currently sitting in an environment where we don't even know that in the near future our property rights are actually going to be guaranteed. If it's going to take the same foreign direct investor you know, nine months to process an expert application once they've expressed an interest to come into the country, you know, so the skills visa regime that we have as a country is very rigid, you know, and it actually takes forever, you know, for, for the Department of Home Affairs to actually get that right. So forget about getting, you know, a, a foreign direct investment. So when we're talking about structural reforms, structural reforms that are actually going to position South Africa as an investment destination, unfortunately, we are found wanting in all of those, and therefore you sit with an environment that is not conducive, you know, for business to actually invest their money into the country. So, you know, from an economic perspective, if the question is what needs to be done, Chris, the problem of South Africa is not an analysis of what needs to be implemented or where we are going wrong. Neither is it a solution, you know, of, 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 of where we need to fix our problems. The problem of South Africa is in implementation. And the implementation problem comes from the fact that, you know, the biggest issue, and we had this discussion as business, you know, I think at the beginning of the year, to say that after all the efforts, after all the conversations, after all the, the shifts that business has tried to make in this country to try and move things in a particular direction, why are we not moving? Why are we not getting traction? And it was very clear to us, you know, that it has got very little to do with the efforts of business. It has got very little to do with what business is or is not doing. It's got everything to do with the fact that the ANC as a party, you know, uh, is currently self-destructing. ANC as a party is self-mutilating. ANC as a party does not have a singular view in terms of what should constitute growth in this country. The ANC is currently deeply divided. The ANC is currently focusing, you know, on their own political, you know, infighting, you know, and there's very little attention that is actually being paid to how we actually need to move the economy forward. So if the center is not holding, you know, forget about the shifts that we need to make as a country. And I think we actually need to confront that uncomfortable truth that un until and unless you have direction from the top, until and unless you've got coherence from the top, you know, in terms of some of those things that we need to implement as a country to move the country forward, you are not going to achieve what you need to achieve. So I think that is where the bulk of our problems, you know, as a country are sitting. It's because we are not getting the proper direction from the top. And then we keep on setting up these committees and these 
commissions and these, you know, that is all good and well, but you can't govern a country through commissions. Neither can you govern a country through commissions, uh, through committees. You actually need to be decisive in terms of what it is that you need to implement. And, and, and this is very interesting, Chris, because when you look at the governments that are doing well in the world, the, the, it, it, the reason for their success has got very little to do with their geographies, with their natural endowments, you know, with how much, it's got very little to do with that. What differentiates successful states from failing states is government. So government actually has to have, you know, their story right, and they actually have to have coherence, you know, in terms of the direction that they'd like to move the country in. If that, it doesn't work then forget about the country and working. And I think that is where the crux of the problem is. We know what we need to implement from a policy perspective. Let's go ahead and implement it. I'm now gonna put you in the position of the Department of, of Enterprises. Um, you, touched on, uh, you touched on the electricity problem. In terms of South Africa's state-owned enterprises, we know the sort of albatross that they that all of them are, I think one could say. I mean, yeah. if one thinks of imagery, maybe SAA is the best image of an albatross and the idea that we still need a state-owned airline is in of itself a problem. For you, you know, now putting you in that position of Minister of Enterprises, how do you solve the problems at the SOEs? I know each one has its problems. Do you think one can have a perspective of one solution will work at each one. Do you think it's a case of getting different ministers in, different boards, that kind of thing? How do you think we solve these things of ESCOM, SAA, Transnet, PRASA, I guess, take your pick? Yeah. Um, Chris, it, 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 it's a very difficult one because the SOE reform is central to the economic recovery of this country. So... And I think it becomes difficult when you are when you have 743 SOEs, you know, as a government. And I think you actually have to start there, you know, to say, why do we need so many SOEs? You know, uh, and 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 does it actually make sense, especially in an environment when not even one of them is giving you a dividend as a shareholder? You know, so therefore that means, you know, as you have correctly pointed out that this is a serious albatross around our necks, you know, as a South African economy. So, and, 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 and I think from where I'm sitting, we have a serious problem of ideology as this government. We seem to think that central to the economic recovery agenda of this country, you know, needs to be government or the state needs to play a central role therein. You know, whether you're talking about infrastructure, the state thinks that they need to be at the forefront of infrastructure. You know, when you're looking at an environment where 70% of investment in this country comes from the private sector, why would government therefore think that they need to be central to the infrastructure investment agenda of this country? And something like that for me becomes very problematic and it becomes, you know, very uncomfortable because when you look at why we are where we are as a country, to your point, it's not a problem that started a year ago. It's essentially a problem that started, you know, essentially I think about 12, you know, 14 years ago, you know, when after the global economic crisis hit in 2008, all of us as economies, the way we are doing at the moment, we actually needed to actually, you know, drive economic recovery agendas. You know, when the South African government 
deemed it fit, you know, to drive the infrastructure investment, which was a brilliant idea. But we all know that the looting that came thereafter, the hollowing out of the SOEs, you know, that are now sitting as an albatross around our necks, you know, the corruption, you know, at unprecedented scales came through, you know, when we decided to, 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 to implement that infrastructure project, because then the thieves within this ANC-led government deemed it or saw it as an opportunity, you know, to eat unashamedly. And they still continue to eat, by the way, Chris, and you're looking at it and you're saying, but what's there to eat? You know, they've eaten everything, they've stolen everything, you know, but they're still coming back for more, you know, and there isn't more to give. So for me, when you're sitting in that environment, I don't know why you would still insist to have a government that has 743 SOEs and a government that still owns all of these SOEs 100%. So let's agree that this ANC-led government doesn't have the balance sheet to can actually turn around, you know, all these SOEs and the only, you know, natural conclusion, you know, or natural step that would therefore move on to is how do I bring in capital? You know, how do I bring in the private sector? Number one, from an efficiency perspective, and number two, from a balance sheet perspective, because you don't have both, by the way. You don't have the balance sheet, neither do you have, you know, the, 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 the skills, the capacity, you know, and the efficiencies that are actually required to run some of these SOEs profitably or rather to return them, you know, to profitability. Government has had a serious skills exodus in the past 10 years, you know, because when they were in the midst of this looting, when some of the good people within government would raise these issues, then they were actually termed as the clever blacks, you know, and they were actually pushed out of the system. Now you are only sitting, and I'm using only very loosely, you know, because I don't think that we can paint government with the same brush. There are really still good people within government who are trying to do the right thing. The problem is that there are too few of them. You know, now you are mainly sitting with thieves, you know, within government. And you think that you can therefore get, you know, the economic recovery agenda of South Africa right. You know, so I think that bringing in the private sector from a skills and from a balance sheet perspective, you know, would be one thing that you actually have to consider to try and actually solve for the issue of SOEs. Actually, when you talk to the private sector in this country, Chris, they will tell you that they are in a position to solve the energy crisis of South Africa within the next 18 months, you know, but we are actually constrained by regulation. When you look at the issue of embedded generation, you know, we've been jumping up and down, you know, as the private sector to say that lift the, 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 the self-generation uh, license exemption from one megawatt to 10 megawatts, you know, and Andre Rader came out and say, why 10 megawatts, you know, 50 megawatts? You know, when you speak to the mining companies in this country, they will tell you that they're actually ready, able and willing to actually start self-generating and they can actually generate electricity in excess of what they require. And the excess can therefore be fed into the grid. And you will see that if there was the kind of thinking that drove this ANC-led government, South Africa should be, shouldn't be sitting with the energy crisis. And if you start dealing with the energy crisis, then the negative sentiment that we have as a country turns into positive sentiment. And once you have positive sentiment, then the business confidence, you know, grows. And once business confidence grows, then investment follows. And if investment follows, then economic growth, you know, will be a result. And once you have the right economic growth, you know, then you can solve for the jobs crisis that we have as a country. So it's a logical solution from where you and I are sitting, but the reason why it's not being implemented is that you see 
when this ANC-led government makes policy decisions, they don't sit and debate from an evidence perspective in terms of what is right and what needs to be implemented. Actually, policies or policy making within the ANC is done by a show of hands, you know? We need free education, you know, who thinks it's a good idea, you know? And not even a discussion to say pros and cons or whatever cases. Now you can't make policy decisions like that, you know, and we're sitting with universities at the moment that are actually not uh, 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 working or kids are not going to school because for some reason, through a show of hands, we thought that giving free higher education is going to be a good idea, you know? And I don't know what makes the South African government think that there can be a welfare state. South Africa is not in a position to be a welfare state. We can't give free education, free health, you know, free housing, you know, grants. And we are just not in a position to do that. You know, even the most developed countries, you know, they don't do what the South African government is trying to do. You know, so it therefore is a function of how are we thinking about these things and what guides, you know, our policy making and some of the interventions that we put in place because you would see, you know, that that is where we are missing it as a country. It is an election year, so I'm sure we're going to hear all sorts of more promises around free stuff that, people are going to receive. Uh, I want to take the opportunity to just mention to those watching, thank you for spending time with us. Uh, if you have questions for Busi, please put those in the comments. We've already had a few coming through. And one of them I want to highlight to you, Busi, and this isn't something that I thought we would cover in detail, but any thoughts that you have on education reform? And this can focus on the tertiary level, the primary level. How, how would you go about fixing the education system? Because as Bradley Marais, and thank you, Bradley, for your question, as he rightly points out, fix the, edu the terrible education system first. It has to start from the beginning. You can't hope to have less inequality when the quality of education is so different from government schools to private schools. Any thoughts on that one? And Bradley is touching on a very critical point, you know, but when you look at the issue of education, and I absolutely agree with him, you know, that this is the foundation that we actually need to get right as a country if we hope to actually effect a meaningful economic growth, you know, in the long term. And when you look at what our education system has done since our democracy, we have seen an education system that has actually deteriorated, you know, and unlike some of our uh, 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 sister African countries that have actually achieved their democracies before, you would see that they were very clear that the one thing that they actually needed to drive, you know, very hard was the issue of education. Robert Mugabe, for instance, the late, you know, in Zimbabwe or Rhodesia at the time, when he took over, it was very clear that one of the critical focus areas for his government was actually going to be driving education. And he really did a lot in terms of driving the literacy levels, you know, of his people, you know, to levels that where I think they set in about, you know, uh, uh, 80 whatever percent, I think in 10 or 15 years, you know. And it was interesting, uh, just before he passed away, um, he made a very interesting statement. I don't know what was being said about South Africa. And very cheekily said that, don't tell me about South Africa. You know, uh, South, African, South Africans don't even know what they are doing. You know, Zimbabweans are running South Africa at the moment. And it was actually right, you know, because then you're seeing a lot of Zimbabweans, not just only Zimbabweans, but a lot of foreigners coming into the country with the right skills, education and expertise, you know, and are actually driving, you know, the South African economy and the South African agenda. So you are sitting in an environment where we are an open economy and being an open economy, 
means that not only are you competing with yourselves, but you're actually competing with the rest of the world. Now you're sitting in an environment in South Africa that you have grade five learners that can't read for meaning. And when you sit at the same grade five learners, you know, in China and Japan, they're already being taught programming and coding, you know? And you look at it and you say, let's agree that South African kids have lost the race before they've even begun running it, you know, because of this structural, you know, uh, 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 um, uh, 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 disadvantage that they are actually sitting with because of the bad education that they are actually subjected to, you know, as it were. You know, I don't think that we can actually talk to privatizing education because if you agree that our inequality were the highest and uh, were the most unequal society in the world. So, which means that if, if you have more than 50% of our population that are actually living in abject poverty, there's no way that they are actually going to afford private education. So what you need to do is to fix the very same bad uh, public education, you know, is to actually have clarity in terms of where is the world going and what are the skills that are going to be required for the future. And when it comes to education, it's very frustrating because it's not a money problem, Chris. You know, it is just a problem of actually coming up with the right curricula, you know, that we actually have to give, you know, to our kids. Now, in South Africa today, if you talk to any human resources specialist, they will tell you that the top 10 uh, positions that they are recruiting for, out of the 10, eight of them are actually sitting in ICT or in IT, you know? And I therefore don't understand that if you understand that the country and the world are talking fourth industrial revolution, you know, and if the top uh, eight skills that are being recruited for are IT skills, why are we not driving education, you know, towards you know, uh, those subjects and actually ensuring, you know, that we can actually equip our kids, you know, with those, with those, with those skills, as it were, you know. When I passed metric in 1994, uh, 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 I passed metric with 50% uh, was the passing rate. Now, this government thought that it was going to be a good idea to make these kids pass with 30%. Now, what we are saying with that, we are saying that we are happy to allow kids or to unleash kids into the corporate environment that do not know 70% of the stuff, because that is what it means. If you've got a 30% pass rate, it means you don't know the other 70%. And we think that these kids can come into corporate South Africa and make these private companies to be globally competitive. There is no way you are going to have, you know, you are as good as the stock that you have, you know, or the human resources or human capability that you have. So if you're gonna have a human capability or staff members that only know 30% of the staff, you know, how do you hope to make it, you know, on a global economy? And how are you actually going to compete successfully? And I think those are the issues that we are actually confronting from an education perspective. And I think really my answer to that is that let's fix the public education system. Let's look at where the world is going. You know, let's look at the skills of the future. You know, let's look at what are some of the critical, you know, interventions that are going to shape the world of work you know, in the next few years. And let's actually channel and align our education system with that. I wanted you to peer into your crystal ball for a little bit and tell us, are we going to have an economic recovery? I think it's 
the IMF, I think last week came out and said South Africa that for this year, they projected 3.1% for GDP growth and then tapering off a bit next year. I think the Reserve Bank, usually the Reserve Bank tends to be a bit more optimistic and they say for this year, maybe around 3% and then next year for maybe three and a half, four percent But from your perspective, I mean, we know that the vaccine rollout is, we we shouldn't call it a rollout because it's it's not going very well at the moment. Maybe it'll pick up now from the middle of April. I think middle of April to late April was said to be a sort of target for government to really start with a, a proper vaccine rollout. That's a big part of it. Of course, we have the energy constraints in South Africa, but just broadly, the GDP growth. Do you foresee some measure of, of actual attainment? I think for South Africa to get positively radical economic transformation, we need on average four to six percent growth for the next five years. And I don't see us attaining that level consistently, maybe for one or two years, if, for example, commodity prices are high, that sort of thing. But what do you think on the growth sort of path forward? Yeah. And 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 unless uh, Chris and and, and 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 you are absolutely right in terms of the levels of economic growth that we actually require. I think about three, four years ago, Chris. We kept on saying we need on average 5% economic growth, you know, to actually uh, deal with the unemployment levels that we have, you know, but that was before COVID hit, that was before the economic devastation, you know, the unemployment, the poverty, the inequality, and all the other indexes, you know, were not as bad as what they actually are at the moment. So probably maybe the number that you and I are citing could actually be a little bit higher. You know, some people will tell you, that we need double-digit growth, you know, for South Africa to actually contain, you know, its unemployment crisis. So it's 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 a serious problem, Chris. And I think earlier on I spoke to the fact that growth will be driven by economic reforms. So unless and until we implement some of the reforms, then we are actually not going to achieve what we need to achieve, you know, from a growth perspective. It doesn't matter how much we hike taxes, you know, because uh, a, tax, a, a tax hike is not going to be a solution. A tax hike uh, 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 will not actually make South Africa achieve fiscal consolidation, you know, uh, and, 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 and we are actually not going to attain expenditure containment, you know, through tax hikes, you know, because if you're looking at what are some of the things that we actually need to fix from the economic growth perspective, over and above the structural reforms that need to be implemented, you know, we also actually also need to fix the government's budget. You know, if the government's budget is going to continuously be, you know, about, I don't know, 7% on average, you know, on public sector wages, you know, it's actually uh, 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 not going to be sustainable, you know, and, and we're not going to achieve, you know, the, 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 the some of the interventions from an economic perspective that we'd actually like uh, uh, to achieve, you know, if we're going to continue paying the levels of interest rates that we are paying, where we are borrowing at about 2 billion rands a day, you know, it's not going to be sustainable for us to make some of the shifts that we need to make. And when you're looking at why we are borrowing this money, you will see that none of this money is actually being spent on productive assets. You know, we are borrowing money for operational expenses. You know, we're borrowing money to pay salaries. We're borrowing money to pay grants. We're borrowing money to bail out SAA, which doesn't make sense. And, and it therefore is, is not going to be sustainable you know, for us to actually, you know, achieve what we want to achieve. It was interesting because Tito Mboweni already said, you know, that if we don't radically change the path that we are on as a country, we are actually, and he, he, he makes the example of a hippo's mouth 
you know, widening. And he says, if we don't make interventions to actually deal with that crisis, we're actually going to be fa facing a fiscal debt crisis in the next two to three years, you know, and it's actually correct. And we're going to be sitting within a situation where we lose our economic sovereignty, because as much as we avoid making some of these interventions, you know, as much as we avoid implementing some of these structural reforms, you know, the IMF is going to walk in and they are not going to actually negotiate with us. They are going to force us to actually Actually, it's not even a function of forcing, you know, because they come in, they take over. You know, they're actually going to implement that which we would have failed to implement on our own, you know, for the past five years or whatever the case is, you know. So I think, you know, uh, 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 the economic growth prospects of the country are not looking good at the moment. You know, with the COVID devastation, it has meant that there are more people losing jobs. There are more people, you know, joining the unemployment queues. There are more small businesses that are actually running out you know, of, uh, of, 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 of business, you know, there are a lot of companies that have actually halted their investment decisions, you know, uh, because they are playing a wait and see game, you know, but they are looking at it and they are saying, is there a rationale, you know, for me to continue growing my business in this environment? Because remember, companies will actually invest and grow their business. And we know that in growing their business, they therefore hire more people and if they hire more people you know then you you you, you know there is more in the tax uh, revenue you know for government to do what they need to do as it were and in hiring more people you know then there is a, 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 a lot of people who have got disposable income and who can spend and if they can spend you know that is how economic growth actually you, you uh, the, the gdp growth uh, gets to grow because GDP growth is really driven by consumer spending. You know, 60% you know, of GDP is consumer spending. So without consumer spending, without people having disposable income, without people having jobs, you can actually forget about that. You know, so we are sitting in that environment, you know, where companies are saying, it doesn't make sense for me to invest in this country, you know, because there are no prospects that consumer spending or consumer demand is actually going to grow, you know, and there are no prospects that I'm actually going to be operating at near capacity as an organization, because those will be the only two reasons, you know, why a, a, a company would invest. So there are no prospective markets, you know, to invest for, you know, so which makes the case, you know, for economic growth in this country a very bleak one. 3.1%, I think, is actually a bit op optimistic. I would have liked to see, you know, uh, how they came to that number. Uh, we are definitely not going to grow at 0.1%, you know, not if anything is radically implemented. And remember, Chris, even if we were to implement something radical, it takes time, you know, for some of these interventions to take effect. It doesn't mean that if you solve all the structural uh, economic issues uh, 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 that we have uh, today, you know, then investment is going to flow tomorrow and factories are going to be built the day thereafter and people are going to be employed, you know, it's therefore going to take its own time, you know, for these things to actually have a, a, a positive growth, you know, uh, uh, in the country. So unfortunately, things are going to be much worse before they get better. We had a question around practical steps that lower and middle income South Africans can take to actively lead the country in a more positive pro-growth direction. Do you have any sort of, any advice in that regard? Any, um, I mean, one can have the pressures that you put on government, of course, then one wonders, does government actually listen at some point? Does it, what about supporting organizations such as BLSA, the FMF, others 
what do you think of, of that question and how people can take actions and take agency? We talk a lot about in South Africa, the idea of dignity, agency, active ownership kind of thing, but a lot of what government does seems to undermine those sorts of things. So what steps can people take? Yeah. So, you know, it's, South Africa is not an entrepreneurial society, right? Our idea of income, you know, is through getting a job and getting a salary, you know, and, and, and uh, we, 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 we are just not entrepreneurially driven. And it becomes interesting for me that a lot of these foreign nationals, you know, especially from our sister African uh, countries, they come here and they identify business opportunities that a lot of us as South Africans would have failed to identify, you know. And then we have xenophobic attacks where people are saying that these people are taking their jobs, you know, whatever the case is, and you look at it, but these are jobs that were available or these were business opportunities that were not being exploited or not being looked into, you know, before these people came along, you know, and and, and I think we we fail to engage with things from that perspective. You know, we lack a certain degree of abstract thinking. And I don't know, Chris, if I should probably maybe lay this squarely on our education system, you know, to the, the fact that we have a very instructive education system. You know, our idea of succeeding in an education system is that I give you a page of what to read and what to study. All I have to do is to cram everything, you know, that is in the book. And during an exam, I actually have to spit out, you know, what you have given me to read, you know? When you look at other education systems that foster abstract thinking, you know, you would see, you know, that they actually are more an, applica the, the, an application focus, you know, to say, you know, how do you give a, a student a scenario, you know, and say, you know, how do you wiggle yourself out of this? You know, business case scenario, case study scenario, you know, type of thing, where you actually have to use your brains and say, after I've learned everything that I've had to learn, the case study methodology doesn't require me to actually take what I've written and actually spit it on a piece of paper. I therefore need to say, with the information that I have, how do I actually solve for this near real life problem, as it were, because then it fosters a different kind of thinking that currently really exists, you know, in the South African environment, as it were, you know, and I think entrepreneurship and probably seeking out business opportunities, you know, uh, uh, would probably be some of those things that we could be looking at to say, how do we drive ourselves out of this economic quagmire that we find ourselves in as a country? But then even when businesses do get started. You therefore sit with a problem of not only access to funding, but of access to markets. And this is where I think the private sector is actually going to come to the party in a meaningful way, because let's agree that the private sector in this country, in as far as the enabling of SMMEs, is not showing up in a manner that they can be showing up. You know, a lot of SMMEs actually resign themselves to focusing on government business, because the government is doing more, you know, in terms of assisting SMEs, they drive a very intentional agenda, you know, in terms of saying, you know, we're going to have to support SMEs, you know, uh, and the private sector, unfortunately, is not doing enough in as far as that is concerned. So when SMEs in this country tell you that their biggest pain is not so much access to funding, but access to markets, 
the markets that they are talking about is actually the private sector markets. So how do the private sector actually come to, a, to the party in a more meaningful way? Because it's all good and well to say, be an entrepreneur, identify a gap in the market and start a business, you know, but it's, 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 it's not going to help me if I start a business that is actually not going to gain any support. And the biggest support that we require is from the private sector, because we know that that is where the biggest balance sheets are, and that is where the billions of friends and expenditure are being spent every year. So if the private sector were to be intentional, you know, about carving out a certain portion of their expenditure towards SMEs, I think that would actually, you know, drive the economic agenda and the economic recovery, you know, in a more meaningful way. Because if you were to give an SME a 5 million rands contract, you know, uh, they would not have a choice but to actually go out there and hire a pair of hands or two to deliver on that contract. But if you give that contract to Discovery, Discovery can actually, you know, deliver that contract without actually hiring more, you know, so the jobs crisis that we have in this country will be solved by enabling SMEs, you know, and I think this is what is going on in the rest of the world, you know, SMMEs are actually driving the economic growth, you know, and the GDP growth, you know, not so much big businesses, because a lot of big businesses have actually reached their plateau, you know, in terms of creating unemployment. So SMMEs are actually a solution, you know, but we therefore have to give them the necessary support so that they don't actually run out of business in the first 18 months. In terms of the issue of red tape and you've touched on for example the visa regime in the country uh, the skills visa that sort of thing if i could give you a pair of giant metaphorical scissors and you could go around cutting red tape as it were are there any at the you know the top three or top five items that you could look at is it for example a particular law or a particular bill um, should one look at the national minimum minimum wage should you look at cutting or freezing certain taxes Anything in that broad sphere that you think can be prioritized in the next year that can really incentivize people and businesses to grow? Yeah. So I, I, I think the, 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 the top two that come to mind, you know, is really the lifting of the license exemption um, uh, in as far as electricity is concerned and allow embedded generation to actually happen, you know, because I think we have a lot of investment opportunities as a country that we're actually not exploring. And we don't appreciate that in implementing or in lifting some of these rigidities that we currently have, it will actually unlock, you know, investment. If you look at the fact that if you were to release the spectrum today, you know, Chris, uh, Vodacom MTN, you know, and those service providers are waiting, you know, with a bated breath, you know, to start, uh, uh, unleashing some of the infrastructure projects that they have, you know, because they therefore have to ready themselves for setting up infrastructure so that they are ready for five for the 5G network, as it were. You know, so a lot is actually going to unfold in as far as that is concerned. You know, and when we look at, you know, lifting the license exemption for self-generation, you know, uh, from one megawatt to 10 megawatts or to 50 megawatts or 150 megawatts, a lot of these mining companies, and it's already starting, you know, already on a, although on a small scale, a lot of these mining companies are actually ready to actually uh, build their own power plants, you know, and that is actually going to be investment that is much needed. That is actually going to be, you know, uh, uh, the jobs post that we actually require in this country, you know. So uh, I, I really think that 
when you look at why investment is not happening you know uh it's because there is a lot of negative sentiment because of some of the things that are actually not happening you know and i really think that if you can start tackling the macro issues you know never mind the NHI and the worker representation of boards, you know, which is the company act amendments or whatever cases, all of those small things, you know, that we are probably maybe grappling with as business, the biggest constraints that we're sitting with are really these macro issues, you know, are the issues that are making it unbearable or difficult to actually run a business in the South African environment, you know, because the small issues of the NHI and whatever the cases we can probably deal with, you know, but it is the fact that, you know, you don't have functional municipalities, you don't have electricity that is guaranteed, you know, you, 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 you don't have, you know, a skills visa at a time that you would actually want to, or a proper skills visa regime, you know, uh, uh, and so forth and so forth. That are actually the biggest constraints, you know, to 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 investment. So I really still think that from a regulation perspective, you know, the regulatory uh, rigidity that this government is going to have to focus on are the things that we've really been talking about for the past five years. You know, there is really no reinventing of the wheel, you know, uh, that needs to be done, you know, uh, 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 in this case. You know, miners will tell you that. If they were to finalize the MPRDA, you know, uh, that will unlock a lot of investment, you know, and they are still sitting in an environment where that piece of legislation has still not been finalized. And it's actually, you know, uh, sending a lot of uh, discomfort, you know, in the mining environment, you know, and the confidence is not what it should be. And a lot of mining companies are actually have decided to withhold their investment. So there, there can be a lot of exploration, you know, that can start, you know, uh, which would mean, you know, that a, a grounds will, 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 will start being broken, you know, a breaking ground, you know, by these mining companies, you know, if, 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 if such a bill, for instance, were to be, were to be finalized, you know, so for me, there is those big ticket items that we've been talking about that would actually uh, allow us to move an inch from where we are sitting as an economy. I think for many people, and this is across the board, civil society and maybe government as well, there's a, a sort of concern or a focus on quote unquote silver bullet solutions to our problems. And I don't think, I mean, economic growth isn't, if one has the right ingredients in place, it, it can happen. It's, it's not. I mean, South Africa has massive potential. South Africans, I think, if if they had the right sort of environment that's not so suffocating, we would see the kind of economic growth that we that we need. We would see the sort of uh, small business growth that we need. And I think it's getting those right ingredients. It's not a case of having to come up with, I don't know, the new theory of economics or like Einstein did with physics. We don't have to reinvent stuff, as you say. We just need to have the right the right ingredients in place. I think. Um, to the viewers, we have about 10 minutes left. Uh, please put in your questions if you have any more for Boosie. Boosie, I wanted to ask you on the issue of corruption and state capture. And we've got, I think, for many citizens, a level of frustration as to why aren't the arrests happening? Why don't we see the orange overalls, that kind of thing? And on the one hand, one can very much understand that perspective. On the other hand, you understand that the wheels of justice grind slowly and from your perspective what do you think on on the whole issue of corruption so i think the uh, corruption is really the one cancer that has riddled you know our our country and um 
unless we effectively and decisively deal with it, then unfortunately, you know, some of the prospects and some of the plans, you know, that we have as a country, you know, are actually not going to be achieved, you know, as it were. So it was actually very interesting for me, Chris, when when we received the 70 billion IMF loan last year, um, it was interesting that the concern or the questions that were being asked around it were not what we are going to prioritize, you know, from an expenditure perspective as a country, you know, was not what are some of the priorities that we have to have or, you know, uh, 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 some of the critical interventions that are going to have to be implemented with that money. But the concern was we hope it will not be stolen. So that is not what you want to be known for as a country. And unfortunately, you know, we're sitting in that environment, you know, where the word or the name South Africa is synonymous with corruption because we have failed, you know, to effectively deal with some of the people that continue to run around in the streets. You know, we have failed to actually decisively deal with them. I'm looking at the current issue, for instance, you know, where the previous president of this country, Jacob Zuma, is refusing to appear before the Zondo Commission. You know, in spite of the constitutional court ruling that has actually been issued to say that it actually needs to say so. And it's interesting for me because I'm looking at it and I see this ANC-led government running circles around it, tiptoeing around the issue. You know, I would have thought that there should have been a very clear directive to say that you are going to appear in front of the Zondo Commission or else, you know, but instead there are delegations and delegations and delegations that are being sent to him, you know, that are actually uh, begging him to actually do the right thing. I think what is even more concerning in as far as that is concerned is that within this same ANC government, you've got the RET structures, you know, radical economic transformation structures that have now been legitimized, you know, uh, within the ANC branches. And uh, they've come out very strongly in support of the of, of the previous president, so much so that they've actually even set up, I don't know whether is it a policing forum or whatever the case is, or security or whatever, outside his house to say that should you dare, you know, come for him, then there's actually going to be a war. Now we 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 can't be a country in an environment that actually allows that to happen. You know, it, it becomes very concerning and it actually becomes very worrying. So I don't know how, Chris, we start to deal with the issue of corruption if we are not actually going to be exemplary from a leadership perspective about it. You know, when the ANC took a decision in December 2017 at their NANSRAC conference where they said, you know, or where they took the step aside resolution. I would have thought that they took it because they were intentional and deliberate about applying it. But now, 
the ANC, NEC after NEC after NEC have said to actually discuss a matter that has been continuous or that has already been resolved on, you know. You're sitting with Ace Mahashule who's running around in the streets, you know, and even has the audacity, you know, to try and campaign for the ANC, you know, with the cloud, you know, that he has sitting around his head because of the 256 billion scandal, you know, of the uh, asbestos project, you know, in the free state. And I look at it and I say, should these not be people that we make examples of, you know, because if you haven't dealt with the Mahashula and if you haven't dealt with the Zuma, it becomes difficult for you to try and arrest corruption, you know, at the lower ends. It becomes difficult for the ESCOM board to deal with the corruption elements within ESCOM, you know, because we know that it continues to happen, you know, within some of these SOE organizations, because, you know, you have already set a precedence, you know, that uh, 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 those that have been found wanting in as far as this is concerned are actually not going to be dealt with. So how do you deal with it, therefore, at the lower levels when you have failed to deal with it at the upper echelon, as it were, you know, and I think that is what the most disturbing thing for me, you know, is, is you know, about corruption in this country. Um, it, 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 it's concerning, Chris, and unfortunately, the confidence levels and the investment that we want to see in this country is not going to be attained, you know, while we still sit, you know, at, 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 at where we are sitting, you know, as, 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 as a country. And I think we just need to make an example, you know, of one or two of these high profile people and 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 so that and I know the wheels of justice as you have said take time to turn but I guess if we were deliberate and intentional about this I think we could accelerate some of these things you know just to send a strong message for those that are continuing to do it you know to say stop and desist you know because unfortunately that is not the message they are getting you know the message they are getting is that i can continue running rampant and doing whatever it is that i need to do and nothing will actually happen you know and uh, it's very concerning and it is a big concern of the international community you know and of the prospective foreign direct investors you know that would actually want to come into the country we've got two final questions for you busi and then we'll We'll wrap up. So a sort of technical one from Toby Chance. Thank you, Toby, for your question. With South Africa's chronic lack of disposable income, should we not refocus our growth strategy from localization to exporting in niche markets to countries with high disposable incomes, i.e. not SADC states? Yeah. And, 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 and Toby is raising a very uh, interesting question around localization because... <laughs> You know, when I sat as the team of 28 people who drafted the economic recovery and reconstruction plan that the president um, pronounced or announced to the country on the 15th of October in 2020, we were very adamant as business, you know, in terms of what are some of the critical interventions that need to be dealt with to actually turn our situation around and to Toby's point, to get more people uh, 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 with disposable incomes, you know, whether it is from an SMME enabling perspective, you know, or cutting some of the red tape, you know, so that it can be easy to do business in this country so that investment can flow and economic growth can be achieved and more people can be employed, or, you know, from 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 uh, 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 some of the interventions that will promote economic growth, you know, it was very interesting how government was actually driving the localization agenda. And 
I understand where they are coming from, from an intense and purposes perspective, you know, or from the spirit of localization perspective. But the reality of the situation is that a lot of South African companies are not in a position to uh, compete on a global scale and to probably maybe produce some of the products that we are getting at a fraction of the cost internationally, you know, at that price. So for government to drive the policy of 40% localization, you know, the way the DTIC is currently driving, for me, it doesn't make sense because then you are actually killing the competitiveness, you know, of businesses. You are therefore saying to South African businesses, I want you to buy something for 50 rands when you can actually import it, you know, for 20 cents or for one rand or for 10 rands or whatever the case is. And you have to look at it and say, you know, what does that do to the profitability, you know, of those organizations? And what does it do to its overall competitiveness? Because if your cost of production is going to be high because you have you have had to comply with a 40% localization, it therefore means, you know, the price at which you are actually going to sell this product at is going to be high. And who are you selling this product high? Who are you selling this product to at a high price? You know, when we have this weak consumer demand and this low disposable income that a lot of people are actually sitting with, you know, so I, I, I agree with Toby that I don't think that localization is, the spirit of it is fine, but we are not in a position to can drive it at a scale that we need to drive it at. But also, I don't know if we have made a proper assessment of whether South African businesses are in a position to actually supply the 40% local content. Because I'd like to argue that with a decimation of the manufacturing industry uh, over the years in this country, you don't have enough manufacturing capacity to actually get our companies to actually, you know, uh, uh, deliver the local, uh, the 40% local a localization that government is driving. So I think there needs to be things that we put in place first to position and to capacitate local South African producers and to actually, you know, rebuild our manufacturing industries, you know, before we can actually uh, drive the localization agenda, you know, the way uh, we are driving it. Our final question, and you can incorporate this, I think, into any closing remarks or, or pearls of wisdom that you'd want to leave the viewers with. The final question is from Andre. Andre, thank you for the question. What are the top three items that the country has to take care of that are critical for the economy? Electricity, electricity, electricity. You know, ESCOM, ESCOM, ESCOM. You know, unless and until you have actually fixed, you know, electricity and energy is the fifth factor of production. So while we are in an environment that seeks to drive growth, you know, uh, Growth will be driven by companies being in a position to actually produce and for them to be in a position to produce or for investment to come into the country, because then investment does exactly that. You know, they are going to set up facilities in this country for production. So for investment to come into the country or for business to be competitive, you know, they need not just the four factors of production, but they need energy, you know, as an enabler. So unless and until you can actually solve for the ESCOM or for the energy crisis, and I don't want to say for the ESCOM crisis, because the fundamental mistake, in my view, that this government is making is for them to think that ESCOM needs to be central to the energy crisis of this country or central to solving the energy crisis of this country and from where i'm sitting it doesn't need to be you know because you even have cheaper forms of energy 
you know, that a lot of private sector companies are coming with, you know, uh, 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 versus the, 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 the coal solution, which has, you know, a, a lot of climate control and climate change issues that they're actually bringing into the environment as well. So unless and until you can actually open up the market, because I think this protection that we give into ESCOM is a false protection, you know, because once ESCOM will, is, is not in a position to actually effectively compete, you know, without the support and the protection that it is actually being provided with. So if you want to help ESCOM open up the industry and ensure that it can actually compete, because once the industry has opened up, you know, and their competitors, you know, that are actually uh, 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 driving uh, uh, ESCOM to, uh, and, 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 and giving them a run for their money, they will actually therefore and look at how they actually are a bit more, you know, efficient. They will drive efficiencies, you know, they will drive, you know, the effectiveness. They will make sure that they trim their staff so that they actually uh, get the right people in the jobs and the people who can do that. And, 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 you know, I think competition will actually be very healthy, you know, for all these SOEs, by the way, you know, not just as calm as it were, you know, so I really think that the biggest crisis that we're sitting with as a country, you know, when we had this uh, conversation at the beginning of the year, in terms of what we need to watch out for, you know, as a country, and what are some of the things that may be likely, you know, and, and one of the things that the credit rating agencies are actually flagging, you know, for the South African environment in 2021 and beyond, uh, Chris, they are saying that South Africa is not too far from a credit event, you know, and what that means, you know, is that there is a likely SOE collapse. Because remember, a lot of these SOEs continue to operate because the government is making it possible for them to operate, you know, because of the government bailout. But government soon is going to run out of money to actually bail out these SOEs. And a lot of them are actually sitting with very high interest um, uh, obligations that they actually need to meet you know, and, 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 and capital repayment obligations that they actually need to meet. Should one of those, you know, SOEs be not in a position to do so? I promise you it's going to trigger a credit event and everything is actually going to unravel, you know, in this country. So we, 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 we are therefore sitting in that environment. And when you look at where the likely credit event will come from in the South African environment, it's going to come from ESCOM. You know, hence I'm saying that, you know, the biggest, the top three issues that we need to solve for as a country is ESCOM, ESCOM, ESCOM. I don't know if we realize the risk that ESCOM actually poses to the South African environment. You know, the fact that we can actually be led to losing our economic sovereignty just by this one entity. You know, that is how much, you know, uh, 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 of an albatross, you know, ESCOM is, because all the other SOEs are actually insignificant, you know, in relation to ESCOM. So I really think that uh, that 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 ESCOM and electricity is actually the biggest uh, issue that South Africa needs uh, to solve for. Thanks, Chris. I think let's keep an eye on, on ESCOM then and let's see what happens there. Maybe there could be a sort of weather vane to indicate to us how things are going in the general direction. But on that note, Busi will wrap up. Thank you very much for your time this morning. I've greatly enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much, Chris. Thanks for the invitation. I, I, I really enjoyed uh, the lively uh, debate. And thank you for the participation of your viewers and the questions that they actually uh, posed. You know, I, I really think, Chris, and I'm of the firm view, you know, that 
uh, unless and until we get the leadership in this country right, you know, we are not going to achieve, you know, what we need to achieve, you know, because I think South Africa's biggest failure, you know, is the fact that we have a serious leadership deficit, you know, and uh, we are what we are as a country because our leaders are not what they ought to be. You know, so let's get the leadership right, not just from government, but business, civil society and, 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 and the unions. Thanks, Chris. To the viewers and listeners, there you have it. Keep your keep your leaders accountable and get better leaders in if they fall short of your standards. Thank you all, of course, for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. As always, please rem remember to like the video. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the Free Market Foundation's YouTube channel, the big red button underneath the video, and also share this video on your different social media platforms. We greatly appreciate if you can spread the word. For more information on our articles and research, please go to www.freemarketfoundation.com and please also look up the work that Business Leadership South Africa is doing. You can also follow them on Twitter at BLSA underscore official. Please go and follow them there, discuss their policies with them, engage with them and give them your ideas of what you think the reforms that South Africa could make and could be done. Thank you for your time once again. We hope all of you have a good day going forward. Look forward to more episodes from us in the next few weeks and until then, take care.